everyone is welcome? Everyone? You know what someone's going to say to that? Oh, that's just talk. It's what churches all put on their signboard out front. Everyone is welcome. But they don't, they don't really mean it. What they mean is that everyone is welcome so long as they look like us, talk like us, believe like us, think like us. Everyone who is like us is welcome. Everyone is welcome? Everyone is welcome? You don't really mean that. You mean that everyone who can fend for themselves is welcome to try to mix in with us. We're certainly not going to bend over backwards for you. Or everyone who meets the standard, whatever the standard is, is welcome. Or everyone who behaves themselves is welcome. Or everyone who is nice is welcome. Or everyone who is not too much trouble, who doesn't push us out of our comfort zone is welcome. Or everyone who plays by the rules is welcome. And of course, like all people, like all congregations, we may not live up to our declarations of welcome. Like all people, like all congregations, we should confess that we are inconsistent, sometimes hypocritical, sometimes biased. We are not all that we say we are, and not all that we'd like to think we are. We should admit that we have our uncomfortableness around certain kinds of thought and behavior and even appearance. After all, it's easier when people all look alike or think alike. It's easier when people in the group all have the same theology and education and politics and preferences. But for all our foibles, for all our failings, at least when we say that everyone is welcome... That statement is both intentional and thoughtful. We've given some time and consideration to it. It's not a throwaway line, because here's the thing. This congregation has made a choice in that regard, in terms of welcome. This congregation has made an intentional and thoughtful choice to be welcoming, to be hospitable. It started out as a question, as an idea, and then it became a conversation and a process of learning and understanding. Finally, it was arrived at as a decision, a declaration to be open and affirming, to open ourselves in welcome, to open our arms, to open our minds, to open our hearts, to not only tolerate the stranger, the other, the person on the margins, but to actively and intentionally try to make space to promote openness, to treat all persons like worthy persons, worthy of respect, of inclusion, worthy of love. And so just over 24 years ago now, after a long and intentional conversation and discernment process, our congregation adopted this statement of affirmation and inclusion, and we've been trying to live up to it and to live into it ever since. 
As a Christian community striving to be peacemakers, we are called by Christ to be inclusive and caring. We affirm that people of any race, ethnic identity, gender, sexual orientation, economic status, educational level, ability, age, or life situation are welcome in our congregation. Now, the movement toward that statement was initiated and energized by the question of inclusion of LGBTQ persons. The process of the congregation becoming open and affirming was not driven forward at that time by our concerns about race or social class, for example. It was driven forward by our concerns and questions of inclusion in relation to sexual orientation. But even from those earliest moments, my sense is that our congregational spirit of inclusion was characterized by something deeper and wider than just one area of concern. Having said that, we owe a great debt of gratitude to the queer folks among us who invited us and who have continued to invite us indeed to call us, to open our eyes and our hearts, to empathize, to identify with, to advocate for those folks who were courageously willing to make themselves vulnerable in our midst in order to give us opportunity to see people as people and not as categories. And we owe thanks also to all who work so hard at understanding both scripture and science and who then arrived at a place where they were willing to stand up for sisters and brothers who the church has so often failed, so often rejected, and as a result, experience some small measure of the marginalization that so many LGBTQ persons have experienced at the hands of Christians and at the hands of the church. Through that process of discussion and discernment and decision, and because of that process and its outcome, we found ourselves in conflict with the wider church. That is, elements of our own district and our denomination. And we found ourselves in conflict with some in our own local community, at times criticized and even ostracized. And because of that, some of us finally experienced what it is like to be rejected by the church by our neighbors, perhaps for the first time in our lives, just because we stepped outside the lines of who belongs, quote-unquote, who is acceptable, quote-unquote, just because we planted ourselves in a different space of openness. We, our congregation, lost some members at that time, persons who were angry or opposed to the decision to declare ourselves open and affirming. And as I just said, we were challenged and even criticized in our own community. But we gained something very, very important. We gained brothers and sisters who could not have come to us or felt like they belonged with us, except that we showed ourselves willing to pay a price for openness. We gained better self-understanding theologically and scripturally and culturally. We gained more courage as we showed more courage. We gained more clarity about what it means to believe that hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. 
to believe that, to declare that, and then to take action to demonstrate that. And so this conviction about the importance of inclusion, of hospitality, of welcome, has become a clear and ever-present core value for us. An expression of our identity, our self-understanding. We believe that hospitality is at the heart of the gospel. It's good news. So yes, it started with this process of education and conversation and discernment and then ultimately declaring ourselves open and affirming of LGBTQ folks and thus accepting them in every way into the life of the congregation. But it also pushed us into other spaces of affirmation and acceptance, of inclusion and hospitality. So, in 2005, when a United States Marine the spouse and son-in-law of some of our church family was killed by a roadside bomb in Iraq, and the family wanted to have the memorial service here in our sanctuary, a peace church, a church that does not display the flag, any flag. Did we say no? No honor guard, no flags, no military symbols. No, of course we didn't say that. We wouldn't say that because everyone is welcome. Whatever their life circumstance, everyone is welcome. We explained to the Marines who we are. We had a conversation. We came to an understanding. Yes to the flag on the casket, but no to flags on stands in the sanctuary, but okay out in the narthex. We worked through it, and then we cried and prayed and honored that death, that sacrifice, with the family and friends of that fallen Marine. And later on, when we hosted a funeral here for a local police officer, did we say to the law enforcement officers who came with guns on their hips that day, you can't bring those in here, not in our church. No, we didn't. Because we knew who and what and why And we shared in the desire to honor the person who died and shared our respect with them because we believe that hospitality and inclusion is at the heart of the gospel. And in 2015, when an inmate on death row who had come to know us through the death row support project, which paired him in a pen pal relationship with a beloved member of our congregation, had learned enough about us that he wanted to become a member of our church, did we say, no, You've never been here, and you will never come here. And what you have done that caused you to be convicted and sentenced to death row puts you in a different category than us. You don't fit with us. No, of course we didn't say that. We wouldn't say that. It tested some of us because it distressed some of us, but we didn't turn away. We leaned in. Why? Because everyone is welcome. Whatever their life circumstance, everyone is welcome. And so we wrote back and forth to better understand each other, to increase the circle of relationship and deepen the trust of motive and commitment. And some of us took up responsibility for more actively and intentionally nurturing a closer relationship. And one dear person among us became a close ally and a fierce advocate and a kind friend, even to the point of traveling to Oklahoma to visit in person. 
And of course we did that. And in particular, she did what she did because hospitality and inclusion are at the heart of the gospel. And just recently, a few weeks ago, when a local funeral director called me and asked whether someone has to be a member of our church to have their ashes interred in our memorial garden because he was trying to make some final arrangements for a person who has no family who claims her, no person to honor her, no place of final rest, did I say, no, we can't make space for this person in death unless she wanted to be part of us in life. No, of course I didn't say that. We wouldn't say that. Everyone is welcome. Whatever their previous experience of rejection or isolation may have been, we aren't going to be party to that pattern. We will take them in, make a space, include them in the memorial book, and honor them with a remembrance plaque because hospitality and inclusion are at the heart of the gospel. Her family wouldn't accept her? Well, we will. In the gospel text for today, Jesus tells a parable of sheep and goats. You know the story. It's the story of Judgment Day. And the question that is posed is this. In the end, when it's all said and done, will we have done what we were supposed to do? And how will we be judged? On what basis? Will it be by the measure of our allegiance to certain doctrines? Will it be on the basis of declarations we have made? No, the Son of Man says. It will be on the basis of your actions. Oh boy, what does that mean? What is the standard of action? The standard is revealed in the story. It's how you treated Jesus. Jesus? How we treated Jesus... Was Jesus somehow around us? How could he be? We didn't see him. And Jesus replies, didn't you see the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the prisoner, the sick, the stranger? Whatever you did or didn't do for them, you did or didn't do for me. And to the people gathered there on Judgment Day in the story, and therefore to those who are listening to this parable, this is shocking news. How could they have known? How could they have known that how they treated others, how they fed, clothed, visited, welcomed others would count in terms of how Jesus himself was fed, clothed, visited, and welcomed? If we had known it was you, you who are the judge at the end, we would have done better. If we had known, we would have treated you right. And even we who did the right thing by those who were hungry, naked, imprisoned, or a stranger, why didn't you tell us that we were doing it for them as well as for you? If we had only known. Well, the message is this. What those people in the parable knew or didn't know at the time doesn't matter. Because through this gospel teaching, we now know. We know that action, not words, is what matters. We know that doing, not doctrine, is what defines us. We know that Jesus is present in everyone. So God's holy presence is present 
in everyone. We know, we now know that the divine spark, the divine wind is everywhere. I think I feel it. And therefore, we know that there is no hiding from our responsibility to meet each person with respect, with acceptance, and holy awareness, and yes, with love. Outsiders, people who are less than, those who are not worth the trouble, the unwashed, the unworthy, if we have started to divide the human race and assign people into those categories, we have lost our way. When Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, you know that verse, right? When Jesus says that he's the way and the truth and the life, this is what he is talking about. The way of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner, welcoming the stranger. That's what that means. When Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, this is what he is talking about. Reaching out, risking contact, drawing close, affirming our common humanity, affirming that the presence of the divine is as close as the person right in front of us. The writer of Hebrews says, Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That, of course, is a reference to Abraham, who welcomes strangers into his tent, not knowing that the strangers are, in fact, angels. And it's a reference to Abraham's nephew, Lot, as he protects two men who are also, in fact, angels. That is to say that the history, the tradition of welcoming and indeed protecting the stranger, the vulnerable traveler, is deep and long. It is the tradition of our spiritual ancestors. It is the tradition of the Christ. It is the tradition now of us. Us. In this place. In this time. In this congregation continuing forward hospitality and inclusion are at the heart of the gospel so that's one piece one block in the foundation of who we are as christians who we are as brethren who we are as persons in this particular congregation We seek to include and embrace. We seek to accept and to welcome. We seek to know and be known as persons of hospitality and openness and thereby to create a space where respect and love can live in us and among us. Everyone is welcome. This is who we are. This is who we are called to be. This is our identity. This is a value at the center of who we are. May it be so.
Amen.